Welcome everybody to the Superfly Podcast. This is episode 38. I am Damian Leba. Anthony Stevens. And today we got a special guest. You want to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Alex. Alex Fastener. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alex is a uh, really good childhood friend of mine, and we decided to bring him on to discuss Tarantino today. Considering I got the tar- the death proof tattoo, man. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah, I like Tarantino. In. Yeah. So, just out of curiosity, because I know most people uh, say that like Death Proof is more of like Tarantino's like worst films. Do you agree with that, or do you do you just love it because? I wouldn't say. I mean, it's definitely not a bad film. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really enjoy it. I think it's just it wasn't really promoted like his other ones were and I feel like it slips under the radar like a lot of people don't even know it's a Tarantino movie even though Tarantino's only written and directed <laughs> nine movies yeah. like it just the fact that it was like the grindhouse double feature and it was the b-side movie of Planet Terror of the Rodriguez movies so like most people didn't really even go to the movies to see that yeah to see like a double feature and because it was the b-side most people never even I, I don't know. They just like never really heard of it, and the the actual release on the Grindhouse was like a shorter cut than the one he re-released later on DVD. I think it's like twenty five minutes shorter. Yeah. Oh, wow. So yeah, I didn't even realize that because I don't think I've actually seen it yet. Um, I do remember a lot of people. D- did he even direct it or did he just write it? He wrote and directed it. Okay. Yeah. So he's only he's written and directed nine in yeah. in order. Reservoir Dogs. Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill 1 and 2, counts as 1. Yeah, he considers that 1. Death Proof, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, Hateful Eight, and then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yep. And a lot of people confuse uh, uh, From Dust Till Dawn because he's in it. He, like, helped. I think he produced it or something, but that was a Rodriguez movie. Doesn't he have a writing credit on it, though? I I think so, but it wasn't. Mm -hmm. He doesn't count that. It wasn't like one of his. Yeah. It was a Rodriguez yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. But even then, like his uh, track record is skews heavily favorable. So yeah, yeah. He hasn't really had like a bad movie. I wouldn't say so. Yeah. No, and I, I've always said too. Like, um, I like Jackie Brown, but it's like my least favorite of all of his movies. It is kind of like a slow roller, but I mm. think. I think the acting's really good. Like, Michael Keaton's in it, man. Yeah. Like, he plays the one cop. I think his character is hilarious. And, and of course, it it's just part of, like, how all his movies, like, bleed together, where he gets Pam Greer to be Jackie Brown, to be the main character. Yeah. And in Reservoir Dogs, they're, like, literally talking about Pam Greer playing Christy Love. <laughs> like, you want to refresh, sugar? <laughs> yeah. I still don't think... I saw there's... I think those are the main ones I haven't seen is Jackie Brown and then the Death Proof movie. Other than that, I think I've pretty much caught up on all the rest of them. But, Death, yeah. Death Proof. I can't remember where I heard this, but he wrote Death Proof with Kurt Russell in mind for the antagonist because he was like, man, I grew up like watching Kurt Russell as Snake Plissken and like in The Thing, like all these badass <laughs> like 80s movies. And then he's like, and then he's doing what was it, Overboard? And he's like doing all these family movies, and he did like the Santa Claus movie, he played Santa, <laughs> Santa Claus, Trouble in Little China. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, didn't he? Well, I know a lot of people had the theory that because he had him play uh, what was that, stuntman and Death Proof, stuntman Mike. Yeah, yeah. That uh, 
what was it, the character from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that he played was, like, supposed to be his grandpa or something? Yeah, yeah, again, it just kind of, like, loosely bleeds together somehow, where yeah. he's, like, yeah. playing a stuntman. And then the woman who plays his wife in Once Upon a Time, Zoe, I can't remember her last name, but she's part of the crew. She started as, she was Uma Thurman's stunt double in Kill Bill. And oh. so she did all the stunts, and so he wrote Death Proof for her specifically right after. So she, quote-unquote, plays herself in a fictional movie, like they use her real name. Oh. And she does all of her own stunts and shit in the movie. That's a trip. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. Um, It's not the same chick that's, like, one of his main stunt chicks that he used in uh, Django with, like, the red cloth over her face? That's her. Same chick? Okay. Yeah, same chick. I couldn't remember. And she's, uh, what is it? They call her... Uh, Six Horse Sally or some shit and yeah. uh, Hateful Eight. Jeez. It, it is crazy to think how he was able to, like, interconnect all those movies like that. Like, even just going from, uh, I can't think of the first movie's name at the moment. Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs. Dogs. Yes. Reservoir Dogs. And then, like, even just going from Reservoir Dogs to Pulp Fiction, you have the Vega Brothers uh, connection, which yeah. I know a lot of people are still pissed that nothing actually came out of that movie. Yeah, the Vega, Vega Brothers movie would have been sweet if they would have done that. Yeah. I, I think it's just, like, super... Reservoir Dogs, in general, is just super interesting for it being, like, his first film because, I mean, they never show the climax. They never show, like... It's only shot in, like, two or three major settings. Yeah, and they never you know? show the and, actual crime itself. Yeah, it's like they... You, you they, only get the little bits from the crime, like the uh, car accident and... Uh, what is it? Steve Buscemi's character running away? With the yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Pink. Yeah, Mr. Pussy. <laughs> <laughs> he's paranoid through the whole fucking movie too. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's in Pulp Fiction. Did Steve you know Buscemi that? is. Yeah, yeah. He plays Buddy oh. Holly. He plays he the, the waiter. Diner. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, just the layers he puts into movies that you can't really find in most other people's movies is like uh, when is it Mr. White? Uh, is the cop or is Mr. Mr. Orange? Orange. Mr. Orange. Uh, how he like rats him out at the diner for not tipping. Yeah. Like just already from the beginning, you already know who the cop is, and like you do through the movie, but like knowing that that doesn't tip anybody else off through the whole thing is kind of crazy. Yeah, and that opening scene too in the diner is just fun too when they're discussing the uh, like a virgin. Yeah. Yeah. The Madonna song. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think like that's the stuff that makes like Tarantino movies so popular with people because it's like if if you kind of look at it objectively it's like the average person probably wouldn't like like an over-the-top gory like semi-action i mean like look at kill bill like it's a little cutting people in half with yeah. like katanas <laughs> and stuff but like you'd think like oh the average movie is not into that kind of stuff but i think it's because he puts scenes like that where people really do sit at dining tables and argue about, like, the ethics behind tipping. Like, people have conversations like that. Yeah. And the fact that he shows it, it makes it super relatable for this person, even though they're, like, on some crazy fictional, like, story arc, you know? Yeah, yeah he definitely brings that, like, real-life angle in as far as, like, conversations go and what real people say during the day and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And, like, one of my favorite things is, like, going off the Madonna thing, um, one of my favorite directors is Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. And he credits that scene specifically as like the reason he wrote the uh, Star Wars like scene when they're talking about the uh, yeah. stormtroopers and all the people who are taking jobs to rebuild the new Death Star. Yeah, and and quirks, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he credits that as like one of his biggest inspirations for being able to like 
right in the way people really talk, which I've always like loved scenes like that because of those two movies. That's why that that's why I think Clerks is hilarious because it's like relatable. Like I grew up in the Midwest, like a Midwest hockey town, like that. So like I literally know people in my life that live the fucking life those Clerks dude, the dudes and Clerks do. You yeah. Know? Yeah. No. I I love movies that don't try to like. Like, they can be smart, but they're not, like, demeaning in the idea of, like, you have to use a million big words to get a point across. Yeah. Like... Yeah, we kind of, like, went over that with the clerks, too. Yeah. But there's some, like, times where Kevin Smith kind of uses bigger words than he needs to. <laughs> it's, it's very, like, pretentious, where I don't yeah. feel that way when I watch most uh, Tarantino movies. Like, it just feels, like, authentic and raw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what would you say... Is your overall favorite uh, Tarantino movie? Man, that's rough. I know because <laughs> I've I've thought of it a lot. It's like asking somebody, "What's your favorite band?" Do like I don't know. I listen to a lot of music. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, personally, Django Unchained always like sticks out to me just because I mean I'm rooted super heavily in westerns. Like I love Anino Morricone's scores and stuff, and he he got. I don't think he scores that movie. He mm-hmm. does. Well, he, I actually I know he doesn't, but mm-hmm. he uses a lot of his music, and he scored the Hateful Eight, and uh, he did like the whole Man with No Name series, like Fistful of Dollars, Few Dollars mm-hmm. More, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, yeah. um, Once Upon a Time in the West, The Thing. Mm-hmm. That was, that's like the only movie John Carpenter didn't score himself, <laughs> but. Um. And then, so since you're kind of going with like Django, <laughs> have you ever watched uh, A Thousand Ways to Die in the West? Yes, I have. What did you think about that uh, cameo at the end? Um, with Django popping up. I mean, I I like I th- I like homages to movies like that because that that's what Django is. Yeah. Have you guys seen the original Django movies? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. They were spaghetti westerns that were crazy, like, cartoonishly gory in the 60s. And it reminds me, kind of, it's, like, the same kind of story with, like, Cannibal Corpse album artwork where it's, like, yeah. oh, they were banned in a bunch of countries because it was just, like, too obscene. Yeah. Even yeah. though it's just, like, you know, red paint, essentially. <laughs> like, just cartoonish. But, um, like I said, they were, they were in Italian, and Django was played by Franco Nero, who is in Django Unchained. He plays the other slaver that when they're upstairs fighting when they first meet Calvin Candy and he goes up to Django at the bar and he's like what's your name? He's like Django he's like can you spell it? He's like the D is silent he's like I know it is that's because he's like the original Django like they wrote that part and is like fuck you on the original Django like what are you talking about? <laughs> nice, nice. I actually didn't know that like I love those little like trivia bits you can get out of stuff because like there's stupid stuff I could rattle off all day about movies that nobody cares about but like it's always cool to hear that coming from somebody else. Like, mm-hmm. cause I feel like a lot of times I know a lot about movies and then I get with other people that know and I'm like, I don't know shit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so like the theme song too, like Django, like that's the original song from the original movie. Oh really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, based on cinematography alone, I know you said Django's, like, your overall favorite. Do you have any Tarantino movie that, like, the cinematography alone sticks out to you? I'd say 
I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was, like, very aesthetically pleasing. Oh, yeah. And, like, I wasn't even somebody who lived in that generation, per se. But, like, I know my parents love that movie. Oh, yeah. And it's not... I, I really like it, but it's not, like, a contender for my favorite Tarantino, like, off the top of my head. Yeah. But um, just the way he, like, is able to wrap a whole era in there. Yeah. With, mm-hmm. like soundtrack and cinematography and stuff i just thought it was like be- like a beautifully shot movie oh yeah it really was my uh, if i was gonna go with that route of cinematography i'd go with the kill bills okay because yeah. they do harken back to those old like samurai and like kung fu movies like that the quick camera movements and zoom ins and over exaggerated action stuff like that the anime cutscenes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> super so excellent great, yeah I think I'd probably have to go with uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well, just because I know how much uh, just crazy stuff went into like actually making it to where they can get those shots. Like they literally shut down like entire streets in California to recreate like yeah. the look of 1969. Yeah, mm-hmm. insane. I remember listening to uh, one of Kevin Smith's podcasts with Mark Bernard and the Fat Man, mm-hmm. Fat Man, like before the before it was called Fat Man Beyond. <laughs> And they were all pissed off because they had a hard time getting to the bar because they had everything shut down. Like, no one who didn't have, like, a classic car could dr- could drive through. And, like, yeah. it was just a nightmare getting through the town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Being able to do that and having that much respect as a director to where, like, you can get those permits is insane to me. And especially mm-hmm. only having nine, like, real directing credits. It yeah. just shows you the impact that he has. Yeah. For sure. It's insane. Yeah, absolutely. Um... I'm trying to think, because there's a million ways you could go with Tarantino movies, but I, I will, we'll start this way. He is very good at leaving audiences to kind of, like, devise their own theories and the way that things go outside of, like, the actual narrative. What would be your favorite uh, theory that has come out of, like, a Tarantino movie? Are you referring to, like, the rewriting of history type part, like we did with Inglorious Bastards and Once Upon a Time? Or are you just talking, like, conspiracy theory around the movie type thing? Either or, like, honestly, in general, because we, we can go one for each, at least. Yeah. All right. I'll do Inglorious Bastards for, like, the rewriting of history, just because, like, again, he does, like, this cartoonish angle. Yeah. And I, I guess he does... He does kind of a similar thing in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I think that one was, like, more came out at a more interesting point in time where again going back to the western things he does like a lot of anti-heroes and he does like a, a lot of like the lone the lone gunfighter type dude like brad pitt's character in once upon a time yeah like a vigilante type yeah. character where it's like I mean, he like they lead you to believe that this guy was like a piece of shit and like murdered his <laughs> wife and stuff but he like somehow lives by like this higher moral code where he stick he sticks up for what's right like he doesn't like have sex with this girl who's trying to physically have sex with him just because yeah. he thinks she's <laughs> under 18 mm-hmm. it's like he somehow like i said lives by this like higher moral code and at the end of the day it's like he just kind of beats up a bunch of kids that are like these boogeymen of hollywood that like brutally murdered all these people and he just makes them look like a bunch of punk bitches they're like literally <laughs> All you needed was, like, one strong alpha dude there, and he literally just, you know, goes into town and fucking smokes everybody <laughs> at high noon. Like, yeah. Oh, man. I'll never forget that last scene with uh, his character in that movie because, like, me 
my, I take my wife to try to watch movies with me. She's not nearly into stuff like I am. So, like, seeing her react to something that's happening on screen, like, makes my day. Because I'm like, oh, shit, I can actually <laughs> talk to her about this later. When that last, like, 15 minutes happens in Once Upon a Time, like, I, I didn't even watch the screen most of the time because I was sitting there looking at her eyes and she's just like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> There's a lot going on in that yeah. scene, for sure. <laughs> just from, like, the layers they put, like, with how much, like, he can control himself and his dog. Mm-hmm. And to the point where, like, the dog itself becomes a weapon in that situation is just batshit insane. It's, yeah, like I said, it's just like an old school tough guy high on fucking acid beats the <laughs> shit out of like three kids that are trying to do like a ritualistic murder and he just like kills them with a can of dog food. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, and like, then Leo like, comes out with a flamethrower. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, what about you, Damien? What would be your like favorite going in that vein? Like the time, like ch- changing history. Changing history. I'd have to go probably with Inglorious Bastards too. As far as how we changed history, how they uh, basically take out Hitler mm-hmm. in the movie, um, that was pretty wild. And if we're going like theory, conspiracy theory, um, my favorite one is the Marcellus Wallace soul. Like the bandaid on the back of his head is where his soul exited, yep. and then his soul is in the briefcase, and that's why he's trying to get it back. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say that like overall theories, I think that one's my favorite too. Mm-hmm. With just the idea of like the numerous things that people have said over the years like it being money or it being his soul that there was a million other things that I heard that I couldn't even tell you at this point but like everyone had something different in their head when that movie yeah and I think too I think Tarantino didn't even tell like the actors in the movie what was in the briefcase yeah I think it was just like up to their imagination too wasn't Mm -hmm. wasn't it just a briefcase with like a fucking like light inside of it oh when they were filming it yeah I think so I don't know for yeah, sure, I but I assume so. it was something like that. Yeah, it's just it's kind of crazy because you always gotta wonder like how they get those like effects in certain movies, like to make it seem like as a kid that never popped in my head. Like, oh, he has a light bulb inside the fucking case. It was always just like after like special effects afterwards. Yeah, like something otherworldly about it too. Yeah, when you first see it. Yeah, yeah it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um. Um, what would you say? So, a lot of Tarantino, a lot of them, a couple of them are kind of, like, told, like, not linear. How do you, like, feel about that aspect? Like, how, how, what do you think that adds to a movie when you don't tell a story, like, straight linear? I mean, I think there's a good way you could do it, and I think it's really easy to make a, I mean, bad movie doing it that way. (laughs) Like, Memento or whatever, the dude that gets, like, all the tattoos. Oh, yeah, Christopher Nolan. Yeah, I thought... That one was like super boring yeah. watching. But like when Tarantino does it, it's not boring. <laughs> like, yeah, that and the I, way he stitches it together makes it interesting too. Yeah. It I don't know. Like just the way he goes about it, where it's like he does he'll he'll spend like a ridiculous amount of time on very specific scenes in his movie to give you like not even necessarily like a critical part of the movie backstory. Well like um the one in Inglorious Bastards makes more sense where you're, like, seeing who, like, the Jew hunter is or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that one makes more sense, but there's other ones, um, I think, in Jackie Brown. I'm, I'm trying to remember the one specifically, but it's 
essentially almost like an irrelevant scene where they just kind of like string it together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's like he executes it in such a way that it's like still interesting to watch and still somehow pertinent to the story. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I always felt that way about the scene with the uh, up until the end of the scene with the Royale with cheese. It, yeah, exactly. It yeah. just feels like exposition, and then all of a sudden a dude gets his fucking head blown off, and you're like, yeah. oh, shit. <laughs> Time to go to the next one. Fucking blew Marvin's head off. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, because, like, Phil Lamar, uh, who plays Marvin, is a huge voice actor. Okay. That is, like, his only, like, big on-screen role he's ever done. But it's super memorable, like, especially to, like, film buffs who love Tarantino movies. Mm-hmm. What what did he voice act in? Oh, I, I did not know that. Samurai Jack. What? He's Samurai Jack? He's the Black Green Lantern. <laughs> He's He has like 200 voice acting credits. Like, it's insane. Damn. So, I'm guessing Pulp Fiction is probably the start of his career. I, I think somewhere along yeah. those lines. Like, he, but like, he has made his career out of like voice acting mostly. But I think that might have been like one of his launching points. Okay. It, it's like the guy that plays uh, Childs. And he was in a couple John Carpenter movies. He plays Childs in The Thing. Um, he was also in uh, They Live. Um, that He does the voice of the Arbiter from Halo. I remember like, oh, shit. I, I like rewatched those movies. I was like, I know that fucking voice. <laughs> it always blows my mind when you get stuff like that, too. Because, like, be watching like or playing certain video games. Like, uh, you ever play uh, the second Mass Effect game? A little bit. Not, not a whole lot, but... And I, f- I completely forgot about this until I was listening to a podcast the other day, but fucking Freddie Prince Jr. voices a character. And I was like, what in the hell is going on here? Dude, Ice Cube, bo- Ice Cube vo- voices uh, Bowman in Black Ops 1. Oh, wow. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I think Black Ops 2, they have Michael Rooker? Or is that Black Ops 3? I don't remember. Hearing voices that you're so yeah. used to in movies yeah. popping up in video games has always blown away. Yeah, and not even yeah. that, like, back when I first found out Mark Hamill voiced the Joker, I was, like, blown away because I had no fucking idea. That yeah. felt, like, <laughs> almost like betrayal. Yeah. Being, like, literally, like, Space Jesus to this, like, serial <laughs> killer. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. Um. Who would you say, like, because Tarantino also does a lot of... He, he works with the same actors a lot. Mm-hmm. Who would you say is your favorite, like, regular cast member that he brings back constantly? It's a, it's a fairly big list, too, so it's kind of... I mean, how could I not go with Samuel Jackson? Yeah. <laughs> like, he's, he's kind of been there from the beginning. I mean, he's been in almost every single one. Even when in Inglorious Bastards, apparently... He heard Tarantino was filming a movie, and he called and was like, yo, you don't have a part for me? Yeah. He's like, well, not really. Like, it's kind of a period piece or whatever. And he was like, okay, I'll make you the narrator. Yeah. <laughs> he was talking about Hugo Stiglitz and shit like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Because now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think he had anything in uh, Once Upon a Time, did he? Unless I'm forgetting something. I don't think he did, thinking back on it. I don't think he was in that at all. I don't think he did. I mean... Some of the other ones, he had, like, really small parts. He played Rufus, the piano player, in Kill Bill, like, in yep, the flashbacks wow. and stuff. Yep. I forgot um, about that. I mean, yeah, even just, like, super small parts. Yeah. Because it's crazy, because how many is Kurt Russell in? Just three? Three, yeah. He yep. he was in Death Proof, Hateful Eight, and then Once Upon a Time. So he's kind of, like, a regular-ish now. I mean, he was yeah. in yeah. one-third of all of his movies, so. <laughs> Tim Roth is a big guy, too. Yeah. Okay. 
Christoph and, Waltz was in two, right? Yeah. So Tim Roth is in one, two, three. Reservoir oh, Dogs, Pulp Fiction. Would have been in Hateful Once Upon Eight. a Time. Yep. Yeah, I think his scene got cut. There's a bunch of people who are actually in deleted scenes. Yeah. 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 I, I remember hearing that. Yeah. Well, and then even at the end of the movie, it says Tim Roth cut for time. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Uma Thurman is in... Two. Three with three. both Kill Bills. Yeah. She's I, in Pulp Fiction. Oh, shit. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> other than that, I can't think if she's in any other Her ones. daughter's in uh, Once Upon a Time. Yeah. So yeah. is Kevin Smith's daughter. Yeah, that's yep. right. That's right. The, it's insane. Because uh, it's Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman's daughter, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, because obviously you have Leonardo DiCaprio as a big reoccurring actor. Uh, at this point, Brad Pitt is. Mm-hmm. He's only done two, though, that I can think of. Yeah. I, I think DiCaprio's only done two also. Two. But they're, like, like very important roles to where they, they almost feel like they're more than just those two. Yeah. And... I don't think they would be okay. I, I don't think they would be put into the movies unless they were in big roles anymore. Like, yeah. Whereas Samuel L. Jackson, I don't think his ego is so big where he's like, I won't take something even if it's like tiny. Yeah. Well, that's why Will Smith wasn't in Django. Because he's originally going to be in Django. Really? Yeah. And you know the scene at the end where um, Christoph Waltz's character is the one who shoots Leo? Yeah. Uh, Will Smith wanted Django to do that. And Quentin Tarantino argued with him about it. Basically telling them that's not, like, Jangle's role in the movie. Yeah. And that's why they cast Jamie Foxx. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I will say, that's another reason I love Jamie Foxx, too, because, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, you can tell when actors have ego, especially when you hear all the backstage stories about, oh, he wouldn't rewrite the script for me, so I left. Stuff like that, where you're like, I, I like seeing, like, especially when it's a Tarantino movie, I don't want it to be played with, because it's coming from his mind, like... It's very specific. Yeah. yeah. You let people come in and start fooling with it, then it just it doesn't feel like faithful to the artist's uh, depiction that was supposed to be there. Yeah. Uh, especially when it's a Tarantino movie. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Well, who would you say is your favorite? Uh, um, out of all the regulars? Yeah. Tim Roth. And my favorite role of his is in... I don't know, it's a toss-up between uh, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. Ringo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I, I Honestly, I say uh, Tim Roth would probably be my favorite, too, primarily just because of Reservoir Dogs. Like, I loved him in that one. Um, Harvey Keitel was only in Reservoir Dogs, right? He was also in Pulp Fiction. He's the wolf. Yeah, he's... he's uh... Winston he's, Wolf. Yeah, he's the guy who comes up and helps them clean up the car after they shoot oh, Marvin. Oh, yeah. In Tarantino's garage. I have to watch it again. It's been <laughs> a minute. <laughs> um, there are, like, a million... Like, we've already said it. There's a million things you can go into with Tarantino mm-hmm. movies. Um, do you feel like there's anything in a Tarantino movie that you've watched that felt, like, sur- sur- superfluous or, like, excess to where you, like, could have gotten rid of it? Or do you feel like it's necessary... To keep even, like, the smallest thing that he does. I mean, I think it's kind of necessary because that's what, like, makes his arturism. Like, that's what makes him him is, like, all these little tiny stupid Easter eggs and stuff and, like, references. So, like, like, one that I think is, like, really specific that if you weren't paying attention, you, like, never would catch it would be um, Inglorious Bastards, the reference to Audie Murphy. So do you know who Audie Murphy is? No. Was he one of the ones on, like, the, the posters, the wanted posters and stuff, or is he the act, one of the actual guys in the movie? No, no, no. He's, um, 
He's a real person. Okay. He was uh like the most highly decorated dude in the army, I think, mm. or like one one of the most highly decorated. He had like every medal you could win for valor in World War Two, and he started acting after he came back. He like Medal of Honor, Distinguished Service Cross, like Silver Star, Bronze Star, all that shit. Um, he was in like uh, what is it, Paths of Glory, or whatever. Um. He played himself in the movie To Hell and Back. They wrote, um, I think, I don't think he, he might have wrote in the book. I can't remember if it was an autobiography or not, but they went to make the movie and they asked him to play himself and he refused. And I mean, he had a lot of issues with PTSD mm. and he didn't want to do it. And Tarantino makes that reference to um, uh, Frederick Zoller in Inglorious Bastards, the German guy who... The sniper? Yeah. Oh, okay. In the tower. And there he's like, yeah, they wanted me to play myself in the movie. But, like, it, it again, that dude's, like, almost like an anti-hero. Because, like, you want to hate him. You're like, oh, this dude was in the Wormach. He killed, like, you know, 150 yeah. U.S. dudes on D-Day or whatever. And he's supposed to be, like, this hero of Germany. But, like, he doesn't really assimilate with, like, all the high-end German dudes that are, like, around him. And... He's kind of like the soft-hearted dude, like going after Mimu, but they kind of—I mean—they make him look like an idiot in the end, yeah. obviously. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's like, like like I said, a direct reference to Audie Murphy. And then in, in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, when Brad Pitt shows up and he like cocks back like he's gonna hit DiCaprio, he's like, "Whoa, slow down there, Audie Murphy." It's like, so okay, so Tarantino knows exactly like who he is, yeah. and he did that very specifically. Yeah. Okay. Um. I'm not 100% sure. Do we... There's no confirmation on what his next and what he says will be his last movie is yet, right? He said nine would be the perfect... Or I think he said eight would be the perfect amount of movies for a career, and he's already passed that. Yeah. So yeah. My, my guess would be he's going to do, like, 11 or 12 or something. Yeah, and he was probably. supposed to direct a, a Star Trek movie, too, but I think that fell through. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I heard that. So, going from there... Kind of sticking with the theme of like Inglorious Bastards and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. If you could pick any point in history and have him pull a Tarantino and switch the ending, all that, what segment of like history would you pluck from? Oh shit! <laughs> I know that's a big one, and it, it might take a little bit more time, but there are a million options. Yeah, I think it would be cool if you did like a. Uh like an old like revolutionary war like civil well i guess he kind of already did like a civil war era one but if he did like maybe on the theme of like forming the country or something like fighting the british something like that like 1775 76 something that'd like that that'd be kind of cool yeah that would be kind of cool too that would know? be a trip i was kind of thinking like uh that old american like shtick kind of like you could he could take that in like political direction oh like, yeah underground whatever like i just i think that would be like a cool era to see a movie from him oh yeah well i was just thinking because he's already kind of attacked like some of the biggest monsters in history with those two movies with hitler and manson yeah um doing something like he's never done anything that wasn't like american like central characters weren't american that i can't think of okay right so like getting him to do something like jack the ripper would that be kind of oh Oh, yeah. Too out of character for his directing style, or... I don't think so. I think that would be 
super interesting, honestly. It'd be better than From Hell. Yeah. Like yeah. Johnny Depp. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking either that or H.H. Uh, H. Holmes. H.H. H. Holmes would be a really good one. If he had Leo in the lead role, too, as H.H. H. Holmes. <laughs> That'd be fucking crazy. Johnny Depp's just like, can you get some more candelabras on this set, please? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, there's not enough candelabras. I can't act. <laughs> oh, hell. Oh. I, I love Johnny Depp to death. The one thing that kills me about him, like, especially over the last few years, is like... His choice of roles? Not only that, but, like, he can't even speak in his, like, normal accent anymore. <laughs> it's the same problem that, uh, I don't... You know who Charlie Hunnam is? Yeah. Uh, when he was done with Sons of Anarchy, he lost his British accent. He had to go through, like, coaching to get it back. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't know how many actors that happens to, but he's definitely, like, the worst example. Yeah, and like I said, Mark Wahlberg lost his... Boston accent over time too. I think that's a blessing though. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I don't know, that always just kind of blew my mind. Um if cuz how how many movies does Tarantino play a role in that he's actually like that he's directed? Reservoir Dogs, Django, Death Proof. Death Proof. He's in Pulp Fiction. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah he is. Um, Jimmy, uh, he's he doesn't play a role in Inglorious Bastards, but he's plays the body double of the dude that gets scalped at the end. So like, when they shoot him, it's not Tarantino, but when they're scalping him, it's his face. Like if you look and pay attention, he's playing the corpse. Like it's a, just a different person. <laughs> I have to go back and watch that one. I will have to too. Um, so he's not in Once Upon a Time that I can think of. I don't think so. No, he's not. He um, was in Django. Yeah, he was in Django. Yeah. He blows himself up. Not Hateful Eight. No, there no. was there was only like maybe a dozen characters. Yeah, in that I was, movie, right? I think I was yeah. like, I, that movie is miss. basically a play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, and I think it's really cool that they re-released like the extended cut on Netflix. Like when yeah when I watched it in like its four hour four act form, I'm just like that makes more sense. Yeah. Like it just I'd rather watch a movie like that. Instead of him being like, okay, well, like, what fat can I trim off this to get it in yeah. theaters? Like, right. so and I like seeing that movie in theaters too because I saw it when it was on the they called it the road show circuit. Yeah. Um, it had an uh, introduction and it had an intermission in between too. Mm-hmm. It was like one of those old style movies. Didn't it, it set a world record for being like it was shot on like crazy wide film, right? Yeah, it was actually shot. I think it was like a seventy millimeter yeah. film or something like that. Yeah. Okay, so going off of that, like four hour cut with like the one hour episodes each I don't know if you've been following the Justice League stuff at all um now that they're releasing a four hour cut on March 18th 18th yeah the Snyder cut yeah uh originally they said it would be cut into four out uh, into like an hour each like four episodes mm-hmm. but now they're saying it's just straight four hours would you rather watch like like obviously with Netflix you have the option to just watch episode 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 and, like, there's no real cuts in between, so it just feels natural. Um, do you think that would work with something like Justice League? Like, obviously, we haven't seen it yet to see yeah. what the differences are. But would you rather see something in that episodic format if it's that long? Or would you rather just sit down and watch a four-hour movie? I think there's a difference between, like, oh, like elaborating on a movie to give you, like, like backstory. Because, like, realistically... Like, an hour and a half is not a lot of time to cover a lot of things. And, like, that's what people complain about when they adapt books into movies. They're just like, Mm -hmm. they never even mentioned this stuff. I'm like, well, they kind of (laughs) can't, you know. Um, 
So I think if you're trying to turn it into like a TV show where you're just going to like string it out and beat it to death, like I, I don't really dig that that much. Mm-hmm. But like if you're just going to give me more details and like clarify parts of the story and give me Easter eggs and stuff, then I like that. Yeah. Like if I'm going to be engaged watching it for four hours and by all means, but I, I mean... The Hateful Eight was a slow mover. Yeah. But, yeah. like, I didn't have a problem, like, staying engaged watching that. But I did have a problem, like, watching The Irishman. You know, I was just... <laughs> I couldn't even watch I, the whole thing. I <laughs> did, yeah. I think I didn't watch the last 20 minutes or whatever. It's like, I had to break it up into, like, three segments. Just And like I just slog. kept falling asleep. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. And see, like, I've always been huge on, like, the TV show Arrow. Yeah. But, like, especially after the second season, like, you could tell where the filler was. Yeah. So as long as you don't have stuff like that, like series, I think fits big stuff like superhero genre stuff more. Or like a whole string of comic books. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where it's like you have a lot of like content to cover. And I mean, you kind of say the same thing about Star Wars, you know, it's just oh, yeah. like this endless universe where you can cover just about anything you want. Yeah. yeah. And I just wish that, I don't, I don't know, I get tired of filler in movies. Like, some filler is okay, especially if you can make it interesting, but when it's filler for the sake of being filler to pad runtime, it feels, it it just makes it feel like a slog. I agree, and it's particularly frustrating to me, like I said, if in like a Star Wars movie, like, why are you giving me filler? Like, there is plenty to talk about, yeah. like, <laughs> like, you don't have to put filler in a movie oh, like yeah. this. Especially yeah. with, like, superhero stuff, oh, yeah. you know? Dude, Especially like, last, last Jedi. Star Wars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, when they go to that casino planet, oh. that was fucking filler. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't need that at all. No, if literally that, like, and me and you've had this discussion many times. <laughs> I fucking hate that movie. Dude, I know you do. I hate it, like, all the new ones are so bad. Dude. So if, if you take The Last Jedi... As a solo movie, and you take it out of the context of like the series, and you take out that Canto bite shit. Yeah, it's good, except for what it does to hurt like Luke Skywalker. I'll never character. agree with you. I know you won't. I'm just saying. Yeah. Force Awakens was all right. I I saw I saw the Last Jedi in theaters, and I was like, "This is the last fucking Star Wars movie. I'm paying money to see. Like, I'll wait yeah. until they come out on Netflix from now on." Like, Rise of Skywalker wasn't any better. No, nah, Rise of Sky. I've, I personally felt like Rise of Skywalker was worse, just because like they could have kept going with what Last Jedi did and not done all the retroactive like saving our ass shit. That's what J.J. Abrams did. He's like, "Fuck, gotta I get still, rid of all this shit." I still blame Kathleen Kennedy. She's all yeah, right. I do too. Yeah, or just like. You can't come up with another idea, like, other than a, a third Death Star or whatever. Like, yeah, on, and I think dude. for, like, Star Wars fans, Star Wars fans in general, movie fans, like, when you look at Star Wars, like, it shouldn't have been that fucking hard to make a Star Wars movie. I know. At all. It, it's like these last three, they would just write one and then write the next one. It's like there was no overarching story or anything really yeah. bleeding together. they just kind of, like, little episodes of shit yeah and, they're not and, doing what the mcu's doing yeah. they have like a whole outline drawn out that and they can go off of every and, franchise needs a kevin feige period <laughs> and i feel like you know even like the criticism of like episodes one through three i mean people will say one's the worst one but like that was the one in my childhood i was six like i i, <laughs> I, loved, too. I, I loved, loved it when movie. i was a kid yeah. too but even those ones like ass CGI, Jar Jar Banks, whatever, throw all that in the pot. But, like, they dealt with some pretty complex issues, like oh, yeah. a, like intergalactic, like, 
Senate is corrupted by the Sith. Yeah. Um, there's like a coup against the Jedi. Like, there's some pretty heavy topics going on. Like yeah, in the new trade. ones. Yeah, in the new ones, I'm just kind of like, oh, it felt it's like a the rebels are running like from yeah. the bad guys. Like it felt like a paint by the numbers thing for yeah. kids. Like it just felt like okay, yeah. you've seen Star Wars. Like we're just gonna give you more of the same <laughs> and not give you any detail. We're like. You already knew everything that was going to happen in the prequel trilogy. Yeah. But, like, the way they wrote most of it, bar a few questionable acting choices and Yeah, and I think things. Anakin's arc is a little bit off. They could have yeah. stretched that out a little bit. Yeah. Whereas, like, me and him have already been over this. Episode 3 is my shit. Yeah, that's like, my favorite uh, of all time. By far. Um, And I know people will even argue about that. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, he did a lot to make people still interested in those movies when they already should know what's going to happen. Yeah. It's like, what's going to happen in the last movie? He's going to turn to Darth Vader. Everybody knows he is. So mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot of mystery there. It's just how we They want to see how, yeah, how we got there. Yeah. It's like the ending to Sopranos. It's like they already tell you what's going to happen, but they don't show you. So it just like pisses yeah. people off. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what? I want to see him die or go to jail because like, I know one of those things is happening, but I don't know which one. <laughs> oh man. Um, are there any, I, I can't think, are there any Quentin Tarantino movies that end ambiguously where there's just like, everything's in the air or cause he seems like he kind of gives you closure with most of what he does. I don't think I think they all conclude on a one solid idea. It's so, not it's not always pretty. Yeah. You know, but like a lot of people die a lot of the time. But it's uh yeah, I think he like wraps up the stories. Like he I don't I can't think of a time that he really left a cliffhanger other than like maybe smaller like side stories yeah. where he's just like yeah. they never like fully address oh, yeah. what's what's being referenced or something, but that's that's just part of what he does. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do respect that part of his filmmaking because there are a lot of times where, like, it feels like a director, like a specific director's gimmick, M. Night Shyamalan, just to yeah. give you twist and twist and twist and leave you hanging until... No matter how bad the twist is. <laughs> until it gives yeah. you a sequel 25 years later. Yeah. yeah. Um, that sh- really shit the bed, too. <laughs> Split was fantastic. Yeah, Split was good. Glass sucked ass. Glass was ass. Yes. Dude, what was the one that... It, it, I'm pretty sure it was an M. Night Shyamalan one where it was, like, the two grandparents were, like, watching the kids and they turned out to be, like... The Visit? Yeah. The Visit, yeah. <laughs> that was an M. Night Shyamalan one, right? Yeah. I am I curious. Was, Too I bad. Remember, I was in the theater when, like, the grandpa, like, he, like, takes off his diaper and, like, throws it in the kid's <laughs> face or whatever. And somebody's like, what's he doing? <laughs> like, they just said it out loud in the theater. They're like, yo, stop. <laughs> oh, I'm still confused with that, though, because, like... How do you not know, like, did they say in that movie that, like, they never met their grandparents or something? And their mom never... I don't remember. It was like, they were disconnected or something, and their mom just like, all right, you want to see your grandparents? Fine, I'll call their landline and just fucking send you on a taxi. Like, I won't go talk to them. Like, our relationship's (laughs) too bad, even though I haven't seen them in, like, however long. It's basically like, she served her kids to, I don't know, like... It sounds like she didn't even really know her fucking parents that well either. Yeah. Well, and you figure you would send these kids with, like, pictures of their grandparents and like, oh, that's not me, Mom, Pop-Pop. Like, we gotta get the fuck out of here. Yeah. I don't know. I just had a ton of questions. That, yeah. that one, I remember, I, I watched that one. I was like, this is the same guy that made signs. Like, what the, 
what happened? Like, what's he been up to recently? Like, well, is he just doing peyote all day or something? Like, <laughs> and it's crazy. He's another one of those directors who likes to put himself in every one of his movies. Um, but like, I was I was confused on how like the visit got good reviews, and there's other stuff like Signs. I remember being a huge thing, but that mm-hmm. has like awful fucking reviews. Yeah, The Village was a fucking bomb too. Yeah. Although yeah. I think it's not as bad as people would make it out to be. Yeah. I, think, I agree. I yeah. think everyone was getting tired of his directing style, and it just became stale. Well, people are expecting like these like super fucking like fantastic twists. The happening. Yeah, and then when they when they watch it, they're just disappointed at whatever he's gonna do. Yeah. Too much expect expectation. Yeah. Because I, I know people got pissed when all the plants started killing people in the happening yeah. too. And to be fair, like when he has no expectations, he puts out a decent movie like Split oh. or The Visit was pretty decent. But then when he has ex- expectations, he comes out with fucking glass. Yeah. Fucking mm-hmm. shits the bed. There were so many... Like, most of that movie, I don't hear too many people complain about until the death scenes at the end. Yes. Yeah. It was just bad wrap-up. Like, he doesn't know how to finish a script, so he decides to, like, fucking take it off a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> he's not a he's not a strong closer, yeah. for sure. He, he'll <laughs> yeah. just, like, throw the twist and just, like, all right, that's it. Like At yeah. this point, he, he just it. needs to, like, start teaming up with someone just to finish his movies. Like, yeah. he can write the first three quarters. After that, hand it to somebody else who, like, does a good job. Yeah. Um. Is there any directors that you enjoy that have taken any noticeable notes from Tarantino? Hmm. That are, like, obviously influenced by him? Yeah. Oh. What, whether they've come out and said it or you personally notice it while watching a movie. And I know that's pretty vague, too. It's a it's big broad. ask. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like I said, like, I love Kevin Smith and, like, he always, like, blows all the people that he gets his, like, references from. Because he's talked about how, like, Slacker made, it, made him want to make movies and then going to, like, uh, midnight uh, screenings of like new movies and stuff and getting to meet some of the cast and stuff kind of like inspired him to do certain things and then watching Tarantino movies especially because they were both coming up at the same time because I think uh, was it Pulp Fiction was coming out right at the same time as Clerks and they were like, kind of on tour 94 yeah, yeah. They, they did Sundance together uh, and he took like that Madonna thing I talked about earlier and turned it into that Star Wars reference mm-hmm. um you can kind of see, like, little notes like that from some directors where, like, I, I don't know what you can pull from other, like, directors that you've seen do that. I mean, I'll just stick with the Kevin Smith thing. And I think one movie where it kind of, I I felt like I saw some Tarantino in there, not a popular Kevin Smith movie, but it was Tusk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Where it's like, you know, he'll take these super famous actors like Johnny Depp and basically make them play like this crazy whacked out like French Canadian like <laughs> detective. It's, it's like Tarantino does that shit all the time. Lord. Uh, in, we kind of mentioned earlier in Glorious Bastards, Adam Sandler was originally cast to play the bear Jew <laughs> just because he thinks like, oh, Adam Sandler, like who wouldn't want to see Happy Gilmore beat some Wormox dude head in with a baseball bat? <laughs> yeah. You know? And he like, also has Mike Myers in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I forget about that all the time. Yeah. Like that was perfect. Yeah. And I, I think that's kind of like what Kevin Smith did. And I mean, that movie is like a whole other can of worms, man. Like, <laughs> really I, like even when I go back and watch it, I'm just like, it's just kind of like, 
semi unsettling i'm just like did i even understand what, <laughs> like what was he trying to do <laughs> I, I think that's another thing i've noticed with kevin smith movies is uh he's not afraid to reuse the same actors mm-hmm. to play different characters even if they show up in the same movie because i feel like it's something he kind of saw in tarantino movies how they connect but they're still playing different characters if it's the yeah. same actor so i think it made him more care more comfortable to have Ben Affleck play three fucking people in this of fewest universe yeah. that he's set up. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I'd probably it, say the same thing too because I really can't think of any other directors that have tried to go Tarantino's route. He definitely has like, like Kevin Smith is just another guy that has his own like circle of auteurism where it's yeah. like you can watch a Kevin Smith movie and be like, oh yeah, that's a Kevin <laughs> Smith movie. Yeah. Where you know sometimes you watch a Transformers movie and you're like ah who did heard about it again like it's kind of the same shit as the other one like yeah. I, yeah and i'd say the same thing for christopher nolan you kind of watching a christopher nolan movie you know it's his movie yeah 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 no absolutely i think the only one i didn't know was a kevin smith movie except for the fact that he let me borrow it when we were working at the chico's yeah. was tusk yeah. like yeah. there's not a whole lot of other than like the podcasting stuff in there there's not a whole lot that's like his hey, daughter's in it yeah too yeah. johnny depp's daughter too. yeah Little yeah Rose that's depp. right um it, it, it's just not one of those ones I would have picked out of a lineup. Like, if I didn't know who his daughter was, and I didn't know, like, anything else about that movie, like, that wouldn't have thrown, like, it wouldn't have shown itself to me as, like, a Kevin Smith movie. I watched mm-hmm. it when I was going down the A24 catalog. Oh. <laughs> and then I looked up the director after I watched it the first time. I was like, is this the same Kevin Smith? And, like, clicked on his Wikipedia thing. I'm like, whoa, it isn't. <laughs> like, watched a bunch of, like, him talking about making it and stuff. I was just kind of like, it's surprising yeah. for sure. Did you ever watch the sequel, Yoga Hosers? There's a sequel to Tusk. It, it's, it's like, like a loose sequel. In yeah, because you those two girls that work in the gas station, his daughter yeah. and Lily Rose Depp, they're the main characters, and then uh, okay, yeah, Johnny Depp's character shows back up. I haven't watched that one, but I've heard of it. I, I heard that there was like a spinoff of those two characters. Don't go in with high expectations. It's a fun watch, but <laughs> it's not. Uh, it's not gonna blow your mind. <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely the most cartoonish movie he's ever. You're like been. what? Two French Canadian <laughs> gas station clerks, like <laughs> yeah. sweet. I will say it does have a really good cast though, because Austin Butler is even in it. Mm-hmm. The dude who plays Tex in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh really? Yeah, he's gonna be playing Elvis in a movie coming up soon. Yeah, too. Elvis, and then Tom Hanks is gonna be his manager. This is really interesting, kind of on the Elvis topic. Do you know who plays Elvis in Forrest Gump? Oh, no. in Forrest Gump, fuck. I can't remember. It's Kurt Russell. Is it Son really? Of a bitch. Yeah, it yeah. is. And then Val Kilmer plays Elvis in um Oh my god, what's the fucking movie with <laughs> Christian Slater and Christopher Walken? Oh yeah. Um Tarantino wrote it, he didn't direct it. It's going to piss me off. Um True Romance. True Romance. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I was thinking like yeah. The Room or so. I was like it's no. not The Room, like yeah. it's something kind of yeah, true yeah. romance. Val Kilmer is Elvis in that. Going off Val Kilmer, though, my favorite, like, music biopic is The Doors. He yep. looks exactly like fucking uh, John Morrison. Jim Morrison? Jim, Jim Morrison. Morrison. I've yeah. never seen it. John Morrison as a wrestler. <laughs> yeah, honestly, if if they put you up, if, or that you take pictures of him, like, doing the famous photo shoot and stuff, mm-hmm. put them next to each other, can't even tell, man. Dude, it's fucking identical it's creepy as shit yeah, i just know kyle mclaughlin is also in it he plays another member of the doors i don't know who oh, though okay uh Mer- I, I, can't, I can't remember which actor he is but i know the guitar player 
from the band in there. He's also in Platoon. He's in oh, another Oliver Stone movie. He plays a bunny, the dude with the shotgun that like beats that dude's head oh, in and stuff. Um, Johnny Depp's in Platoon also. Yeah. Oh wow. That. And uh, Will- Willem Dafoe. Yes. Yeah. I know we've already gone over this, and I know you don't <laughs> like Johnny Depp for uh, the Joker because <laughs> yeah. they said that was a rumor at one point. If you had to pick anybody for the Joker, I think this is going to be like my question I ask everybody that comes on here from now on. Yeah. Um, if you had to pick anybody for the Joker, who would you go with? Jack Nicholson. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, well, I mean, I'm really kidding, but like, <laughs> I literally watched Batman 1989 yesterday, so I don't, I can't hate on that. Dude, dude the whole, I love Michael Keaton oh. and the like those OG Tim Bird movies and stuff. Yeah. It's awesome. It's absolutely amazing. But I don't know. I have to give that one. Get, think about it a little right. bit, but <laughs> just because I know, like me and him, have bounced back the idea of like Willem Dafoe would have been perfect when they were yeah. talking about it back. He the did day. an excellent Green Goblin. I oh, feel he like. really yeah, did for for real. It was perfect, and even I don't even think it really fits too much with like the original, like at least the cartoons I really grew up yeah. watching when I was. He a kid. was he was almost better than that role like called for. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. He yeah. he made it his own. Yeah. yeah, for sure. The and same it, way that they changed the Joker in Batman 1989 a lot for Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why it was so iconic for him for as long as it was until Heath Ledger came around and did what he did. Yeah. yeah. And then Jared Leto happened. Um, yeah. I <laughs> still don't know what's going on. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah, the one thing I'm really scared of with this new Justice League movie because he's supposed to have like a minute or two of screen time. Yeah. Did you see the picture I sent you? It's kind of like him behind like a, a glass or something like that, and you can kind of make out his face, and he almost resembles Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. It's... So I'm kind of interested, and he's only going to be in like the nightmare scene, I guess, Joker. Uh, so it's, he's not. Yeah. So he could look different. That could be interesting. Yeah. Though, if you get rid of those fucking stupid grills. Yeah. Speaking of which, did you see the Joaquin Joker? I did. Did you like it? Yeah, I did. I love that shit. Yeah, I, again, I think that movie and, like, the, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are just, like, really interestingly timed movies for, like, when they came out. Because, like, I don't know if you paid attention to, like, a lot of the news hype and stuff around the Joker, but, like, there (laughs) there were people just being, like, it's gonna make incel dudes go crazy and like kill all kinds of people. Like it's you're literally like appealing to like this crazy like like alienated like angry white yeah. kid suburban kid yeah. populace. Made... And I'm like, what are you talking about? Even had security at like oh, yeah. theaters and shit like that because they were expecting violence. It made me yeah. paranoid because me and my wife went and watched it on opening night and like I just this dude walks in with a bag and I know I've told this a million times yeah. on our podcast, but like this dude walks in with a bag and he sits down by himself. And then he gets down and goes, walks all the way around the theater and sits in a different spot. And I'm like, every time the screen like fucking flashes, I'm like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. <laughs> I was terrified the whole movie. And then he gets up and walks out with his friend. I was like, if I'd have known you were here with someone, I don't think I would have freaked out as much. But, He's just like saving the seat for somebody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is ridiculous. But yeah, no. Um, I'm trying to think. Is there any more uh, Tarantino-esque things you can think of? Uh. Is there a genre that you would want to see him tackle? Because I've always wanted to see him do, like, a legit horror movie. Ooh. Yeah, that would... That would be interesting. Because that has crossed my mind before, Mm -hmm. but... How do you think he would handle a comedy movie? 
I mean, his movies now kind of are comedic, like yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, whether it's just like, it's not even necessarily like dialogue. It's just cartoonish violence and stuff, and you're just kind of like, like Django Unchained when. He shoots that chick and she's like flies on a cable, like just rips her out of the room. I was like, oh, dude, I died laughing. <laughs> so with Tarantino movies, like I honestly don't really feel like I can even call them something specific. It almost just feels like he needs his own genre. They're a yeah. good blend for sure. Yeah, because yeah. it's you. He takes and pulls from all these other genres, and it's not one at a time ever. I'd say Hateful Eight is like the closest thing to like a legit Western movie oh, yeah. that he's done. Yeah. But even then, that's mostly single room. Like, yeah. It's very character study heavy. and Like you said, it's, it's like a play, basically. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's nuts. Like, it's not something before it came out that I would have ever pictured him doing. Mm-hmm. But now that it is out, it makes so much sense. Yeah. Like, I, I, I would want to see what he would do with just, like, a straight comedy. Like, hangover style comedy. Because, like, I, I can't picture him doing anything that's just one genre at all. I think, I mean, a lot of his stuff is all, uh, it's all kind of, like, violent comedy. Yeah. I mean, like, a lot of his characters are all just, like, super hardcore and rough around the edges and stuff. And that's kind of, like, where... He gets some of the comedic value from there. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's why I don't think of it so much as a comedy is because I take the character seriously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Dude, it's... one of my one of my favorite parts, it's in Jackie Brown. I would highly recommend Jackie Brown. Uh, De Niro is in it. Yeah. Okay. I don't think anybody ever realized. I feel like Jack, Jackie Brown is also like another sleeper where people don't realize it's a Tarantino movie or mm. haven't really seen it before. Um Chris Tucker's in it too. Small yeah, role, he is. yeah. Um, but yeah, just like the scene, like Mark uh, Samuel Jackson is like an arms dealer or whatever, and he's sitting like Robert De Niro just gets out of jail, and they're like sitting on his couch, and he's like, "Man, I gotta show you that." And he's like playing this video of like all these chicks in bikinis just like shooting guns and stuff, and she's <laughs> yeah. like, "I love my AK forty seven and <laughs> like, yeah. dude, it's just like so hilarious, and you could see. I guess you asked me directors that kind of pull from Tarantino. I'd say Eli Roth. Because when he did his Death Wish version, they had, you know, like these stupid, like, shtick commercials for, like, the gun store and stuff where it was, like, the same kind of shit, you know? Where they're like, you you don't be a victim. You come here, you'll get a gun. We'll give you a gun. Like, and it's just, like, some chick just, like, shooting some obscene weapon that you probably can't really buy in reality. (laughs) That's right. Eli Roth was heavily influenced. Because back in the day, like, when Hostel came out, it said, like, Quentin Tarantino, like, produced it. Yeah. But back in the day, I thought Quentin Tarantino actually directed it when it came out. But, yeah, so I guess Eli Roth. Yeah, Eli Roth was in Death Proof, too. And the, the yep. Domino DeCoco, or Dominic DeCoco, that oh. guy, he's in yeah. Death Proof, too. They're, like, the two dudes at the bar that are, like, trying to pick up chicks. And then one of those chicks is also, like, the main girl from Cabin Fever. Oh, oh shit. Okay. Yeah, so I think that's how, like, how she got in there was Eli was like, oh, I know somebody, whatever, like. Okay. Damn. That is one thing I will also say I love about Tarantino movies, and because of him, I've seen a lot more of uh, this specific thing and other directors' stuff. Um, creating their own brands and mm-hmm. kind of making them a thing in like their universe of movies, like how he has the red apple cigarettes and stuff yeah. like that. Like Kevin Big Smith Kahuna has done that Burger. a lot. Yeah, Kevin Smith has done that a lot. Um, 
you get that across like all the AMC TV shows. They have the same brand of cigarettes through like The Walking Dead and Breaking mm-hmm. Bad and all these other and uh, um, Mad Men. Mad Men. Yeah. Yeah. So like, that's one thing that I don't feel like happened as much before Tarantino was around. Yeah. He's definitely left his mark on the industry. Another thing that just popped in my mind is, well, we kind of talked about Rodriguez earlier. Mm-hmm. Rodriguez directed the Spy Kids movies. Yeah. He did, like, Machete <laughs> from Dust Till Dawn. So it's like he has, like, some Tarantino-esque stuff. And, and I don't know if you've ever actually, like, paid attention to it, but Danny Trejo is in Spy Kids. Oh, yeah. Yep. Well, He's Machete. Uncle Machete. Yeah, yeah, Machete is, like, a runoff of fucking Spy Kids. <laughs> and uh, the guy that plays Junie, he's in uh, the Green Inferno. He's in that Eli Roth movie. He's yeah, the one that, like... Underwhelming as shit. Yeah. Well, and the little... The girl from uh, Spy Kids, I can't think of her name. Uh, Carmen? Yeah. She's in Machete Kills. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yep. And it felt really, really weird. Yeah, oh, so completely well, completely Junie's in there, too. He plays, like, the cholo dude at, like, the auto shop when, yep. like, Hallie... What was it? How was it? Ali Pitt? No, it was uh, Jessica. Jessica Alba. Jessica, Jessica Alba. Alba. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm surprised that Robert Rodriguez didn't try to get them to play like the same characters grown up from Spy Kids, since he had Machete and Spy yeah. Kids. And also unrelated to the dude who plays Junie, he was also in uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween. He's a dude right. who bullies Michael Myers in That's school. That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. Honestly, Gets the, beat to death with a tree branch. The last movie I remember that kid being in was uh, World's Greatest Dad. Never saw it. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he's a shithead. He's yeah. he's Robin Williams' son, and basically, like the premise of the movie is like he gets off by like choking himself while he uh, masturbates, and he <laughs> he hooks a belt up to his neck and he accidentally kills himself. The old David Carradine, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, Robin Williams finds him in that position, and he like makes it look like he just committed suicide and then writes this suicide letter. And then all of a sudden, all of the kids at his school that, like, fucking hated his son are all like, oh, I loved him so much. Like, we like the same music. And it just becomes one of those, like, really pandery things. And he, like, yeah. loses his fucking mind throughout the movie. It's fantastic. Yeah. It, it's fucking dark, though. <laughs> um, That was, like, the last big... Uh, it, it wasn't big, but it was like the last Robin Williams movie I remember watching before he passed away. It's true. Um, Flubber, never forget, oh, dude. dude. Flubber. <laughs> Flubber was my shit. Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Night at the Museums were good. I think he was The like, first one's underrated as shit, I yeah. feel. They yeah. definitely declined in quality yeah. after the first one. But, uh, yeah, no... I don't know if there's anywhere else we can... I mean, we can go a million places and talk for days. I want to talk foot fetishes, though. No, we go yeah, for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so for anybody who's like a casual casual watcher, hasn't really paid attention, Tarantino has always like harped really heavily on like this underlying theme of that he loves feet. There's like these weird foot scenes in like a lot of his movies. Pulp and, Fiction. Well, Uma Thurman a lot. Yeah, well, the <laughs> the first shot they ever show of Uma Thurman, she's walking down the hallway barefoot and then puts her foot up and you see, like, the dirty sole of her foot. Yeah. And then, like, John Travolta and Samuel Jackson are, like, arguing about, like, what a foot massage actually means. And so they're arguing <laughs> yeah. about, like, the depth behind, like, giving somebody a foot massage. Um, Inglorious Bastards, 
Christoph Waltz has that chick put her foot up on his thigh and he puts the shoe on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kill Bill, like the wiggle your big toe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, and then Death Proof has the craziest foot scene in it. Like, the chick's got her bare feet hanging out of the window and she's, like, laid down in the back of a car and Kurt Russell just, like, throws his keys on the ground. He's, like, kind of looking around. He goes up and he's just, like, tickling the bottom of her foot. <laughs> and she, like jumps a little bit and, like pulls her feet and he's like where the hell are my keys and like goes and picks him up and just rips out of the parking lot it's just, like super weird <laughs> oh, and uh i'm trying to think of uh, once upon a time in hollywood yeah they show the bottom of uh that hippie chick's feet hippie chick puts them on the dashboard yeah Mar- same time as her armpit hair margot robbie too right <laughs> and she's like, putting her feet up in the theater yeah uh kill bill too she steps on the eyeball barefoot oh like um and then in uh, From Dust Till Dawn, not a Tarantino movie, but probably had his boy Rodriguez. Or oh, yeah. like he helped write it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Selma Hayek just puts her, puts a little piggy in his mouth and pours tequila down her leg right yeah. in there. Oh. Like, I'm not big on feet. That's just one thing I like. I, I can't do it. I don't know why. Dude, yeah. me neither. Absolutely not. <laughs> but like, I'd suck a Selma Hayek. Tell you fucking kidding me. Like, <laughs> I, can, I can definitely respect <laughs> yeah. that. Especially in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, are you kidding me? <laughs> um, was... like, you want me to do what? Okay. <laughs> so, thinking on his movies, then Reservoir Dogs, no foot scene? No. Uh, Jackie Brown? Jackie Brown, they show, like, Pam Greer, again, the first shot of hers, like, her walking up. It's her feet in high heels. Okay, um, yeah. I don't think there's any barefoot scenes in there, but they do, like, have, like, a lot, like, more than they need to foot shots for yeah. sure. Like, <laughs> um, hateful eight, no foot scene. Even with Daisy Donahue, I, I I can't think. No, of I, I, don't, I don't think so. so. Okay, Jan- Django and Chain they show like, um, a lot of slaves. Like they do like, it's not like sexy like yeah. <laughs> sexy like the <laughs> other ones, but it's like they show a lot of people like walking barefoot through like in mud and mm-hmm. stuff. There are like a couple shots of feet, and he never shows Kerry Washington's feet. Yeah. At any point in time. Yeah. Wasn't she a child actor? Carrie Washington? I want to say uh, she was. Not that I recall. But I don't think so. I'll have to look at it. I remember hearing that from somewhere. You're recently. talking about the chick that plays like Django's wife? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Roomhilda. Roomhilda. Uh, yeah, she, um, didn't she do like some crazy shit? Like right after that movie came out, she was like running around like naked at a fountain or some shit and got arrested for public nudity and indecent exposure holy shit i'd never heard of that yeah i I think she was like all fucked up on like i don't know like crack or meth or some shit she was just like she was just like high i mean i'm pretty sure something like that happened i don't know all the details but i remember hearing about it but Mm. i don't know (laughs) i mean stranger things have happened yeah yeah. well it's like i has she been in anything since then uh she's in that little fires everywhere on uh Hulu? Yeah, and then she's also in another show, isn't it? Scandal or some shit? Uh, I'm not too sure, but she's in a couple shows. I yeah. think so. Who's the actress in um, Watchmen, the TV show? Ooh, uh, I don't know her name, but she's in Daddy Daycare. Oh. <laughs> shit like that. Yeah, I know what chick you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I don't know her name. Crap, I can't think. She just won an Oscar like two years ago, or last year. I don't remember, but yeah, I forget her name. Okay. Because I don't know why I get her confused with that actress, too, so. Any new movies coming up that you want to see? Because I got a few. I haven't really been paying that much attention lately, honestly. Like, I mean, a lot of shit's been stalled, and 
I, yeah. I will say, that I think the last movie that I went and saw in theaters was Three from Hell, the new Rob Zombie one. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> I don't know oh, what the man. fuck that was. Yeah. It was a letdown in the trilogy. I, I still enjoyed it, but it wasn't the same caliber. Dude, like, to me... I would have taken it a different angle. I, instead of just, like, making it this, like, washed-up version of, like, what the other ones were, make it, like, the courthouse vert. Like, show them going to trial and, like, talking about all these crimes and, like, do flashbacks and make shit. Make it, like, like, anthology almost. Yeah, like, and, and that way, I don't know. And, and, like, the whole Sid Haig thing, like, I know he died, but, like... Could have done so much more with it. Yeah, they, they, like, shoot the the theatrical trailer thinking that like oh he's gonna actually be in like they filmed most of it and so then they show like b-roll footage of him in the beginning yeah and he's like not lame. actually in it yeah, yeah i was kind of like oh well you kind of were misleading there for sure yeah. yeah and when you think about like those movies like in the grand scheme of things like when you look at like house of a thousand corpses was kind of cartoony mm-hmm. but devil's rejects was like more realistic and more it felt like dirty watching it and then three from hell is just, like a straight fucking cartoon what I- happened to tiny in those movies he just he, like goes and doesn't he just walk into the woods or some shit? Yeah, he just like stays Re- on the property in Devil's Rejects. Right? Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. So like, why wasn't he in Three from Hell at all? Yeah, that's actually a good point. There's a lot of <laughs> questions I have yeah. for that movie. <laughs> yeah, for real. I, you know, I didn't learn this until like just recently, but um, I heard someone talking about when he originally filmed House One Thousand Corpses. You know the. Dwight, the dude from The Office, yep. how he's just like the merman dude. Apparently, it was like a 20 to 30 minute scene of him just torturing him and turning him into like this fucking mermaid dude. Like it was this crazy comprehensive, like basically like snuff film level <laughs> scene. Holy shit. And the studio was like, we can't. We're not. <laughs> we're not doing that. Like they they cut it down and everything like that's They didn't think it was going to be a movie. And then they like got some crowdfunding and they ended up that's why it's like kind of almost in like two parts and like yeah it doesn't really line up that well but apparently the the studio owned the rights and they like lost that footage like somebody probably just deleted it on purpose and it'll never get seen unfortunately but like because you kind of watch it now and you're like oh well it's like yeah it's hardcore but you know it's not like fucking hostile or whatever but like that movie came out in 99 yeah, well, it was supposed to come out in 99 because it was supposed to come out through Universal, but Universal yeah. screwed him, and then it didn't get released officially until 2003. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So, um, like, it was just kind of, like, pretty, I'd say, like, pretty ahead of its time in terms of, yeah. like, gore films, you know? Oh, yeah, because then after that, you got Saw and the Hostels yeah. the world. and it just kind of, it just sucks that it kind of, like, petered out the way that it did. But. Yeah. The one thing I always loved, or that trips me out going back and watching, like, House of a Thousand Corpses is uh, Chris Hardwick. Yeah. I didn't realize that was him for, like, 15 years. Yeah. yeah. And then I started watching The Walking Dead, and he does that Talking Dead show yeah. after, and I saw him, and I was like, he's the one who gets he split looks fucking familiar. Dr. Satan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's just, like, poking his brain, he's, like, squirting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but uh, are there any movies, like that you have seen that you're interested in all like because like obviously you have all the big news about the spider-man movie coming out next yeah. year uh this year supposedly oh I, th- I think it's like december i could be wrong and the new batman movie too right yeah yes. which is supposed to come october this year they moved it to february of next year oh i didn't march know or february february okay because of fucking dune Ugh. yeah <laughs> I'm so pissed um 
but yeah, because I'm sure you've heard all the news with the Spider-Man movie. How you have like Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield coming back. Yeah, they're fucking bringing everyone back yeah. to that bitch. Toby, the only real Spider-Man, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it's <insane>. like, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he'll always be my Spider-Man. <laughs> Kirsten Dunst is confirmed back as well, and then really, uh, yeah. yeah. And there's recent uh, news that they saw Willem Dafoe on the set. Mm-hmm. So. Mm. And Charlie Cox has been seen on set. The dude who played Daredevil. Yeah. What the? Heck? It's just turning into like this fucking. It's like the Spider Verse yeah, type, pretty much movie, the, I right? Th- I think Into the Spider Verse was literally just a precursor, test, kind like of? a test to see if people would be able to like comprehend the whole multiverse thing. Yeah, and plus, yeah. WandaVision is kind of leading into that stuff too. Oh yeah, yeah. So, because yeah. I think it's WandaVision is supposed to connect to Doctor Strange, it's and Doctor to... Strange is in the new Spider Man to yeah. do the multiverse. Yeah, well, it's supposed to go WandaVision, Spider Man, and then Doctor Strange. Yeah. Yeah. So, but and on the eight twenty fourth front, I don't know if you heard of this movie called Saint Maud. It's a new horror movie that's supposed to come out. It's actually out right now, but not in Denver, which unfortunately. Who's, uh, who directed it, or like, what is there um, any? What's the shtick behind it? It's a, uh, it's like a religious. It's another horror movie. It's directed by Rose Glass. It's her first movie that she's ever done, and it's about this um, nurse that she goes to help this old woman who's dying, and she thinks like it's her duty to save her. So she thinks like Jesus is inside of her and shit, and it's it's fucking weird. I'll have to show you the trailer after this. But yeah, yeah, it's just a, like a religious horror movie. I mean, basically. honestly, if it's a horror movie and A twenty four got a stamp on it, I'm fucking gonna good. fucking watch it. Like. Yeah. Uh, speaking of A twenty four, has Green Knight come out yet? No, no. I've been waiting for that one. Yeah. And then obviously, I I know we talked about this before the podcast, but I'm really looking forward to the Northman. Yes. Yeah. It looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anything just... Robert Eggers and Ari Aster, yeah. whoever directs a horror movie for A24, is going to be good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, they just, uh, a couple months ago, they wrapped filming on The Northman, didn't they? Yeah. So it should be getting a release date, hopefully. Yeah, eventually. soon. <laughs> fucking Nicole Kidman, Bjork, plays like a witch in the fucking movie. Really? <laughs> yeah. It, it's going to be insane because it's all like Vikings and shit, so I'm excited. Damn, yeah. yeah. I'm very interested in that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I don't think we have uh, too much else uh, to really cover this week. Uh, anything off the top of your head? Nope, not me. Anything you want to talk about? Nah, like I said, I've kind of been removed from the film industry for a little bit <laughs> recently, so I don't, I don't know of anything coming up or yeah, nothing like that. Cool. Cool, cool. Well, in that case, uh, make sure to uh, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Thwackjack. Make sure to like us on YouTube, uh, and make sure to subscribe on that as well. Uh, please leave a like, rate, and subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It really helps us reach out to other people, and we will see you guys next time. This was the Super Thwack Podcast. My name is Anthony Stevens. Damian Leba. Alex Fassner. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. For sure. Thank you for coming, man. Yeah. Peace. Peace. Peace.